This movie is an excellent piece of art and an indictment of the patriarchy as a whole. I remember it differently. Pops and box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome, my lords and ladies, to the 163rd episode of Hops and Box Office Flops and the third entry of our Hops and Period Flops, the series where we examine flops set in a specific time period. Tonight's episode concerns the 2021 Ridley Scott film, The Last Duel. As king of the pod, I, Captain Cash, will oversee the outcome of this discussion, and with me stands the Thunderous Wizard. Confess! I like just off the top, man, before before we jump into it, we really liked this movie. This was a good movie. You everyone should see this movie, I think. Oh, uh, I I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'd meant to see it for a long time and wasn't able to. And having now seen it, and I watch every best picture nominee for the Oscars in whatever year. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous! This was not nominated as the tenth film, or that it was not nominated over, over stuff like "Don't Look Up." Um, I yeah. like Dune. We did Dune. I would Dune much fine. I'd good. much rather watch this than Dune, though, because I love history. Yeah. Plus, I mean, Dune was half a movie. This is a yes. whole complete yeah. movie. This is a very intriguing uh, story. Power of the Dog. I like this better. Not that that was bad. But this was a this was good enough to be in that field at the very least. It's incredibly well made. The sets are beautiful. The costumes are beautiful. The acting, for the most part, is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did it get any kind of Oscar nod? I don't know that it did. It basically got shut out of the awards, and I think a big part of that was Ridley Scott released this earlier in the year. It bombed. And then House of Gucci came out, which people were more excited about because Lady Gaga, it is a much more uh, recent story of very famous people that a lot more of the zeitgeist is familiar with. And that was heavily publicized and then wound up not being a very good movie. Whereas this wasn't publicized a whole lot, was actually very good, bombed. House of Gucci made bonkers money for a movie about you know, a guy getting assassinated who's from a rich family. Oh, man, spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen it. I'm not going to care about the House of Gucci. OK, well, just points of order. You can find the show on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Hops and Deal Flops and Wabam Entertainment, who we are brought to you by at W-O-B-A-M-E-N-T dot com. If you're interested, uh, please make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast, either on any of your various pod locations, on the Apple podcast or whatever you do. Uh, give us a like. The beer for tonight, in the spirit of tonight's film, will each be drinking a different beer from a different perspective. So for me, I'm drinking New Belgium's 1985 Voodoo Ranger IPA. Uh, this bad boy is a not too bad 6.5 or 6.7% ABV and very juicy. Big fan. So I figured in the honor of what I consider to be this film's most 
entertaining character, although he is really a miserable piece of shit. Pierre de Alicon, played by Ben Affleck. Yeah. I'm just drinking red wine because just, oh I also I'm not wearing any pants and I've grown a really bitchin' soul patch. <laughs> I did notice that you dyed your hair that really platinum blonde color. That that looks good on you. Oh yeah, it looks great. I've just been running around in pantyhose for like the last 16 hours. Yeah, but I mean you'd have done that anyway. True. I mean that no real change there. Yeah. I mean that's just that's just a Sunday night. All right. Um as far as this beer though, uh New Belgium's Voodoo Ranger 1985, I would give this a this is a really delicious IPA. This is a session IPA almost. Right, it's still high enough ABV that I don't feel like I'm drinking water, but at the same time, it's low enough that if I drink, you know, somewhere between four and six of them, I'm not going to kill myself, though I might feel worse off the next day. But yeah, I'd give this three bad movies for sure. This is a delicious beer. Strong recommend. I would drink this red wine until sunup just because Pierre told me to. <laughs> the Of the list of things Pierre told you to do, you should probably avoid doing most of them just as a... As a general rule, as a rule of thumb, he seems like a bad influence. <laughs> he's not. He's not a good guy. He's a lot of fun, and he's fun in this movie. But in real life, he's not a. He's not someone you want to hang out with. <laughs> All right, let's talk the movie though. The, the movie, The Last Duel, was directed by Ridley Scott and stars Matt Damon, Adam Driver, and Jodie Comer as Jean de Carouge, Jacques Legree, and Marguerite de Carouge, uh, respectively. Uh, we get, as we had mentioned, a very memorable turn from Ben Affleck as Count Pierre d'Alencon. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And if you speak French and are listening to this, how did you find us? I didn't think we had people that cultured. Way to go, you. Uh, but also, please don't get mad at me if I'm mispronouncing these names. But Pierre acts as sort of the overlord and debauched friend of Legree, as we've said. Not, not a great influence. Uh, film clocks in at a respectable two and a half hours. So this isn't like, a short movie either so we're you're gonna be here a while to watch it but we think it's worth the ride uh this film did flop tremendously at the box office it was produced on a budget of a hundred million uh and in an ironic echo of the three stories uh this film only made about a third of its budget back at 30 million take home which is pretty brutal um it opened fifth at the box office its opening weekend uh, and was Ridley Scott's worst opening to date. Of its financial failure, the director has remarked, I think what it boils down to is what we've got today are these audiences who are brought up on these fucking cell phones, and the millennials do not ever want to be taught anything unless you're told it on the cell phone. Which, yeah, uh, Sir he, Ridley, come on, bud. He he got very get-off-my-lawn after this flopped, and... He made some valid arguments, I think, but also, you know, it's it's very tough. It was still, it was released at a time where people were still a little skittish about going back. Yeah, reticent going into the theater. So, you know, I think that's more fault because I, from what I understand, it's been streaming well. But also it's oh, a good. movie that lends itself better to streaming because it's a heavy movie. Yeah, that's the kind of, it's the funny thing about this where, the way this was marketed did seem kind of like an action film. And this film is not an action film. And it's one of those movies that after, I, so I saw this in the theater. Um, but after I saw it, I was like, I don't know that I need to watch that again. Cause like fair warning, like we haven't really talked about 
what the movie is about yet, but there is some really explicit and brutal sexual assault that is very graphic. And it yeah, is, yeah. it and is hard to watch. You see it from two perspectives and neither time yeah. is it good. Yeah. I, that, that's the funny thing. It, we'll get into it. And it, I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned Rashomon at least once so far on this pod, but that's the way the story is told. You get three perspectives on basically the same event. And both times you get what the whole plot turns on the sexual assault. One is told from the perspective of the rapist and the other from the, the woman he's sexually assaulting. And you'd think at least in his perspective, he'd find a way to make himself look better. <laughs> but like, even in his perspective, it's like, yeah, no, dude, that's you describing rape. That's a hundred percent what this is. Why do you think this makes you look good? Yeah. This movie is actually very timely in a lot of ways, considering what women's rights are going through and, and things oh, that yeah. were the church believed in 14th century France, such as you couldn't get pregnant. If you were raped, you could only get pregnant. If the woman also had an orgasm, had an orgasm. Yeah. And it's um, like, Oh Jesus. You know, God you really haven't come very far in 700 years. Yeah. God's will decides everything. So, you know, if this guy's guilty, whatever, God will judge that, you know, we don't yeah, judge that. that, but it's, it's framed in such a way that males perspectives that it's so much like reading uh, a history textbook. Yeah. Because of course Until these you get... big strapping men are mostly yeah. good intentioned and brave and heroic. And it's like, nah, <laughs> turns out they're kind of assholes. Uh, I will say though, that the movie did fare much better with critics, right? It's at 85% on rotten tomatoes. So people like, this is a good movie. I think that's general consensus. IMDb calls this movie King Charles VI declares Knight Jean de Carouge settle his dispute with his squire by challenging him to a duel. That is factually inaccurate. It is not. Legree is not Jean de Carouge's squire, but it's fine. Uh, how would you describe this in one sentence there, okay. Thunderous Wizard? Okay, so I'm going to pay homage to one of the great French explorers in history, which is uh, Guy Fontenot, who, <laughs> of course, was on the faithful Edwards and Hunt uh, trip to the Pacific and say, I am de Carouge, and any man that looks at my woman will die. <laughs> if you haven't listened to our, our most recent pod before this one, please take a look at Almost Heroes. Or don't, I mean, you know, depends on who you ask, which could be a, an excellent tagline for this movie. Depends on who you ask. Kind of feels like the obvious one-liner for me is Ridley Scott presents Rashomon. Uh, but if I had to be a little bit, put in a little more effort, I'd probably call this both the patriarchy and rape culture has been around for a long time and they have always sucked. Yeah. Here's that story in three parts. Ridley Scott presents misogynistic gladiators. <laughs> <laughs> I just, oh, like, again, this movie has a really good message. It's really like, it, like I, I'm, I struggle because I don't want to describe it as cool because parts of it are not cool. But man, this is a good movie and it is acted really well and the sets are gorgeous. And the last duel is like bone crunching, brutal. Yeah, like not historically accurate that part. Although the movie is quite historically accurate for the most yeah. part, as uh, duels with people just wearing hundreds of pounds of armor were generally 
fairly shitty affairs. <laughs> yeah. Like Knight in Shining Armor is not really it it is not that. This is like dragging through the mud. Like the thing I think's nuts is how much th- more threatening Matt Damon looks in this than I think he's ever looked in anything, including the Bourne movies. Oh my god, he's got a great facial scar. He's got a mullet, which apparently like, was timely accurate. Like that was yo, historically yeah. from what I read, Legree basically loses due to exhaustion. <laughs> he just couldn't well, get up anymore. Yeah. That's the funny thing. Like the, they fiddled with the ages of the, the knights in this, where like they're basically playing their actual ages, right? So Adam Driver looks like he's about 37-ish, 30, maybe 40. And Matt Damon is maybe five to 10 years older than that. But the reality is these guys were like in their late 50s, early 60s when this duel was fought. Like they were already on death's door by 14th century standards. And yeah, I mean, exactly. uh, De Carouge had survived like the plague. His family had died. So it's like this guy was not long for the world. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, in reality, it would have been a much more sad, tired affair in, in a, as opposed to a sad, dramatic affair. This but is, it, this this is Robert Baratheon on his, you know, third yeah. cask of wine. <laughs> Gods, I was strong then. <laughs> Start the duel before I piss myself. Uh, all right. Well, the movie is split up into three parts, Rashman style, as we have said, uh, where every the main person gives their perspective on the events. Those events being the real life last trial by combat fought in France in 1386 over a brutal rape uh, of Marguerite by Jacques Legree and Marguerite's husband, Jean de Carouge, attempting to get quote unquote justice, which is really more like Jean trying to like make himself feel better than actually help his traumatized wife. Yeah. Basically like this is an insult to me. I have to defend my honor. Yeah. Oh, by the way. And I didn't tell you this, but if I don't kill this guy, they'll burn you at the stake. What? Yeah, that was like, a... like, oh, now you're relying on me, <laughs> like this guy who has a very real possibility of losing. And if I don't win, you will slowly burn to death. Yeah. Not only are you going to die, you'll die horribly. Yeah. But it's all so, God's will. So, yeah. So, <laughs> don't, yeah, it's, don't worry about God, it. God's, God wouldn't let anything bad happen. It's fine. Um, the first story we get is called The Truth According to Jean de Carouge and gives Matt Damon's character's perspective. Uh, It paints him as like a model knight, dutifully serving his king and country. Uh, He befriends a low-born but clever Jacques Legree, which is Driver's character. And also he marries Jodie Comer, Marguerite, who is obviously way too good for him and everybody knows it. (laughs) Even even in his own story, this is the part I find funny, where like he's still an asshole, even when it's theoretically him telling the story about himself. Oh, Um, like he, yeah, he's much more chivalrous, but still kind of a pushy dick and still self-sabotaging and moronic. Exactly. Like he does very poorly at court. And as the years pass, Jean is made, you know, he's honorable, but he can't get his finances straight. He can't, whatever he does. And it doesn't help that Adam driver is now the court buddy with Pierre, uh, B flex Pierre Dallancon. And he feels like, uh, what's his name? Legree is constantly sliding him either on purpose or by just his ignorance. And finally, this all comes to a head for him 
when Marguerite informs him that while he was away, Legree raped her. And so he challenges Legree to a duel, uh, which he appeals to basically the, the court of King Charles VI, who is known as the Mad King Charles, who is exactly the kind of guy that you kind of expect when he learns, wait, I can have two dudes fight to the death? Yeah, yeah, let's do that right the hell now. He's like, oh, wait, wait, that's still a thing? Of course. And then he sort of behaves like uh, Sir Robert Aaron. Is that the kid who still breastfeeds when he's like eight years old? And yes, exactly. <laughs> as, as far as Game of Thrones go, the mad child king in full swing here with uh, King Chuck. <laughs> oh, this is why, like, I'm not super familiar with 14th century French history, but just the amount of fighting that was going on over the dumbest shit imaginable is wild. Yeah. Like life and death fighting too. Um, for the second. Oh, so, and it ends with uh, Dick Arouge laying his glove down and as to throw down the duel in the court. Uh, so the second of the stories, you get the truth according to Jacques Legree. And we see Jacques, Jacques perspective, how he's a clever squire, but he's low born, but because he's good with finances and is able to help Pierre, he kind of, gets taken under Pierre's wing and lives this sort of bon vivant lifestyle of a rich nobleman, which it's like, it's, it's all hookers and blow basically if blow had existed in 14th century France. Yeah. Just, it is literally, I guess what Madison cost Madison Cawthorn described <laughs> being invited to. Yeah. I don't want to disparage Adam driver by comparing him to Madison Cawthorn, but I, I guess, uh, What's his name? I, I guess uh, Ben Affleck's character is probably very comparable to uh, what's his name, Matt Gates. <laughs> so yeah, this is like uh, the first story is definitely like here's the tale of this knight who does this most honorable thing as written in a high school history textbook. The second story is like here's slightly more realistic history, but still written from the male perspective. Yeah, where it's like, look, I'm clever and I did the right thing, and you know. I'm kind of a rake and nobody, you know, everybody thinks that I'm this ladies man, but really I've got feelings and you know, this guy I've known and I've tried to help. Right. Like that's Adam driver's character. Legree describing his relationship with De Carouge, the, the Matt Damon character. And like, he's trying, like it, he gives us from the perspective of I'm trying to help uh, De Carouge, but he's such a self-sabotaging dick and he's not very smart. And he's married to this woman who is smart and is way too good for him. Oh, and she's been making eyes at me. She really wants me, actually. And, like, again, this is where we get the first, in his stories, where we get the first depiction of the, the rape. It is absolutely a rape, even from his perspective. And yeah. it is astounding that that's his perspective. Like, I, I kind of knew what this was about going in, so I expected to see this and to have Jodie Comer's character act a lot more, I guess, coquettish about it, like because he would be describing how she was acting, right? And how, oh, no, really, she wanted it, even though she said this or that. And even from his perspective, it looks real brutal, like real brutal. Yeah, it's bad. Like in his story, you get the dream. He sort of has a, a sexual dream about her. And that in his mind sort of justifies God has told me this is what he wants. Like 
I'm the one who's supposed to be with her because I love her and that's God's will. And this is the 14th century, but again, this is sort of timely because even though he raped her, she couldn't, like from his perspective, it's like, well, uh, you, you didn't, like if there was any sort of doubt whatsoever, and it's also not a crime against her. So it has to be a crime against De Garouche. Yeah. But it's, it, there's like a really weird line because if he thought it was right and God basically was willing it, it wasn't a crime. Like, yeah, it's, it's gross. <laughs> it's super gross. Yeah, it's really, really bad. And it, it's, and it's still, it, it's kind of amazing and funny that way. Yeah, funny is not the right word. That this is his perspective. And even to look at it, it is still full on horrible. Um, but ultimately, you know, because de Carouge manages to appeal this to the court of the king, Ben Affleck's character is like, hey, I can't help you. You, It's going to the king. That's above me. So, yeah, they, they do you, kind of have this do moment this. Uh, where he's like, I'll like this is in my territory. Right. Like because he rules over this certain section of France. Yeah. He's so the in a way it is a little bit like, you know, feudal Japan. In that way, like you have the emperor yeah. and you've got the diamonds. Daimyo. Yeah. But he's like, well, I'll be the judge and you'll be fine. But they, you know, they take it higher. It goes higher and higher and higher and up. But uh, from what I read, right, like in the movie, because of the way the laws were, yes, it's clearly a rape, right? Like it's bad. But the actual act in history was far worse. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Where So this movie turns on the idea of a he said, she said, uh, where, you know, Legree is saying, oh, no, she really wanted it. And Marguerite is saying, no, you raped me. But the actual trial turned instead on Legree arguing it couldn't have been him because it would have required him to ride something like 50 miles in a day in the in the middle of winter to be there to rape her. And there was like a second person there who like held Marguerite down. Like there's not Legree did it in real life and it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was apparently him and the attendant who is in the movie, but in the movie he leaves, but in real life yeah. that apparently was not the case. So there's around. a lot less doubt about what, about the crime. And therefore yeah. for the movie, they're like, Hey, for the dramatical sense, but that's, Adam Driver's or Legree's portion ends when he picks up the glove, Matt Damon is thrown down. And then we get the final perspective, which is the truth according to Lady Marguerite de, and I don't know how to pronounce her last name, Thobville or something to that effect. Do you, re- do you remember? I don't know if they, I, I'm sure they speak it aloud once, but I don't remember it. Yeah, I don't recall. Yeah. Uh, but this, this is the perspective that the film, just based on the way it's shot, the way it fades in and out, is more or less the truth or the most truthful version. Uh, and it is just significantly more brutal than the previous two stories. It's the where, most truthful version, apparently, because yeah. it is commonly perceived that this is, you know, this is what happened. Yet also yeah. the most fictionalized because of the way history was accounted and written. They knew the least about her day to day. They right. knew she was adept and smart and all these things. So a lot of her story is them making assumptions about the way she would have handled the estate and whatever, but the crime and everything that happens thereafter, like that is 
extremely accurate. It's they, but yeah. they, but it wasn't written about her because women were not of standing. So yeah, so yeah, they they're having to do more fill in what was what was she doing at this particular time, right? Because no one's writing about that versus Legree and, and De Carouge, who they can chart. Oh, hey, he was here fighting this battle at this time because there are records for her. There's just that didn't exist, but it's clear that from Lady Marguerite's perspective, she's in an unhappy marriage to kind of an oafish and controlling de Carouge who is petty and easily offended and just kind of this vain dick who, as we said before, is constantly self-sabotaging. And violent. Yes. Not, not only toward people who slight him, but he's like the scenes where he's very tender to her and his recounting, which is why it is so look kids like look how brave this guy was yeah it's like it's scary he's intimidating yeah. and i mean he's legit scary in a lot of those and it it doesn't help that their marriage is strained not just because of financial burdens but also because they've yet to conceive a child and she gets browbeaten by her mother-in-law who lives with them for the lack of grandchildren and like she entertains and, and is polite to Legree who in his story is taking it as, oh, she's on to me. But she makes it clear she's doing this because she needs to curry favor with the court because Legree is, is well-respected. And if she can get Legree and de Carouge to be buddies again, well, then their chance of doing better significantly increases. And man, like the way Adam Driver goes from kind of friendly, but you know, like he's a little skeezy and smarmy, but, Overall, he's very charming when it's when it's the same, the exact same scene that they're now shooting from her perspective. He takes on this real predatory, creepy vibe real fast. And it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and it's very subtle. But the, the act itself, obviously, always heinous. But then yeah. just the subtle shift to the, to the way she's reacting to this. It's it's quite so. I mean, this movie's exceptionally made and written, yeah. and I, you know, Affleck and and Damon wrote this. Uh, I forget what the uh, the woman's name because they really wanted to have the woman's perspective, to, and to have a writer who knew the history help them out with this, so it didn't come across as these two guys, right? These two well-to-do guys, basically portraying this. They they and they did a fantastic job. Yeah, I think the the woman was Nicole Holliff Center. Yeah, that, the woman yeah, who that's right. yeah. yeah, who wrote the majority of Marguerite's perspective. So the scene of rape is again significantly more brutal and awful to watch. So it's one of those things where it's like, hey, if this isn't your thing, you just don't like. If you got issues with that, don't watch this movie because it is unflinching and and just like. Again, I'm stumbling over my words because it is that hard to watch. Yeah. The good news yeah. is you can just like you can literally fast forward through those if you're enjoying the story and like seeing the history yeah. of this. And obviously knowing like, holy shit, how far have we really come? Uh -huh. If if this is the way like women's rights are being attacked present day, and that's now almost 900 years ago. Yeah. You know, or 700, 700. years ago. Yeah. It's just insane. Yeah. And then we also get the perspective where she tells De Carouge what's happened. And again, in De Carouge's perspective, it's very like, 
oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to fight for you and defend you. And I care so much about you. And in this, Dukaruge demand, like, says he's going to challenge the guy to a duel and then demands to have sex with her so that Legree isn't the last man she's known. And it's just like, ah, yeah, it's bro, bad. Uh, bro. Yeah, like, come uh, on, dude. I do like that even across perspectives, his mom is always a bitch. And if you, if <laughs> the mother in law is routinely terrible, yes. If you watch Succession, she's the mother of the three oldest kids uh-huh. at uh, the lead character's divorce from. And she's a huge bitch in that show. So I was like watching this, I'm like, oh, that, yep, yep, this makes sense. She's really good at this. Yeah. She, she found her niche. She's just like, I know what I'm good at and I'm going to, I'm going to make a meal of it. Um, Then, I mean, the, the film then kind of unfolds as we've seen De Carouge then sues to the court of King Charles who grants the trial by combat as a now very pregnant Marguerite looks on. And that's our first reveal that she is like six months pregnant. And you're like, you're doing the math and you're like, Oh, Oh God. And then I know, I know we've already mentioned it in the, in the previous they or in the previous dis- description of what happened, but this is where we also find out that in challenging Legree to trial by combat, De Carouge risks Marguerite being burnt at the stake if he loses and hasn't told her that. And we didn't know that either until this moment. So the stakes just went way up. And, yeah. and it's just like, yeah. Oh my God. That's and such she, a large part of the history. It's like, why would she lie? Knowing what yeah. could happen to her. Why would you ever lie? Yeah. Uh, because she's obviously on a moron, like her husband, right? Who, yes. who just believes that God is going to will him to victory. Like there's real consequence for her. Yes. Like, I mean, he might die in combat, but that's kind of what he signed up for. <laughs> like that's, he's a knight. That's sort of what he's like. That's, that's sort of how it's going to go for him one way or the other. <laughs> and you, you get the impression like across storylines too, that that's what he does. He's really not adept at doing, he can't really take care of the land of the estate. He can't yeah. really collect the, the levies and the taxes that are owed to him. Like he's meant for war. Yeah. He's, he's good. He's a good blunt instrument. You point him at something and he'll smash it, but he's not like, a real like he's not a peacetime person he's real good at killing that's about it which ugh. Uh, but then we after well marguerite does give birth to a a, a baby boy uh, before the duel and then we get the last duel and when you title your movie the last duel you're kind of making a promise to the audience that this is gonna be a thing and holy shit does it deliver uh it is a brutal bone crunching bloody thing where it goes from horseback to hand to hand. And it is just nasty and painful the entire way, you know, in a way that I don't think we've seen filmed quite very much. This felt like medieval combat. Yeah. Uh, you know, horses getting basically impaled with a broken joust and just hacking and bashing and just like sheer fury and rage. I mean, if you love gladiator, right? Like when he has to fight the old gladiator played by uh, Arnold's buddy, shit, I forget his name, but he's in all yeah. the Arnold movies, but yeah. And it's like in this the armor with fight. the mask. Yeah. yeah. And, and the tigers there, like Ridley Scott excels at, 
at this sort of stuff. And this fight rules. Yeah. It, well, I mean, it, it rules. Even the fight in the gladiator thing seems kind of glorious, whereas this seems just like awful, like a hundred percent awful the entire time. Like the, the only thing I can think to compare it to that I have seen in the last decade is the do you remember the Game of Thrones episode, The Battle of the Bastards? Where it's yeah, just yeah. like the two muddy forces slamming against one another and people are just being crushed by the weight of other bodies. That's sort of what this feels like. <clears throat> well, Brand kicking the shit out of the hound. Oh, yeah, there you that, go. That's sort of a ferocity. Yeah. But also, like, why would anyone want to be <laughs> a knight? This, this all seems just terrible. Um, in the end, ultimately, De Carouge manages to pin Legree. So Matt Damon pins Adam Driver's character and demands a confession uh, or, or Legree will face damnation. And Legree, and apparently this is true to history, shouted that he was innocent and that there was no crime at all. And at that point, De Carouge drives a knife into his mouth in just a, oh, it's just gross. Like he needs the back of his head to drive the knife into Adam Driver's mouth. And it is just like, oh, God, what a way to go. Fuck. Yeah. And then you get the glory shot of why history is written by the winners as he like yeah. sort of basks in the adulation of all these people who most of which wanted him dead. Yeah. He, he was not super popular with the court, especially. And yeah. he became like he rides off as this hero. Yeah. Where And then you kind of pan back and you see his wife is largely forgotten and ignored and it is not happy about any of this circumstance but no one's paying attention because oh i won the duel and then that cuts to them stripping legree's body and like ha- like dragging him through the street and hanging him naked upside down or hanging his corpse naked upside down which this isn't really the point of the scene but ooh, some adam driver penis there for you I, yeah i assume it's a stunt cock it's not Probably not Adam Driver's penis. It wasn't Kylo know. Ren's lightsaber. Probably not. Uh, I'd the expect brutality. Prongs. Yeah, just this guy who was of a certain standing, just basically stripped of whatever false worth he thought he had accumulated in a matter of seconds. Like, yeah, and then basically written out of history. Yeah, pretty, pretty depressing. Um, we do get an epilogue, which has the cutest possible child I think I've ever seen on film. It's like this kid that looks like it. I, I assume it's a he, uh, but I, I have no idea. It's got it's the she, child has the bowl cut. She so did give him a male heir because yeah. in the uh, the epilogue, basically, Digger Rouge dies in the Crusades. So, right. again, this guy goes and dies for nothing, because if there's ever been a meaningless war. Might, yeah. be the, might be the crusades. The multiple crusades. Yeah. yeah. And uh, she retained the De Carus estate for the next 30 something years. So without the yeah. male heir, she would have been out on her ass. Yeah. Well, that's and, the way it worked. Yeah. And she never remarried. I, I just meant yeah. the whatever the actor is uh, playing yeah. the, the baby is just really, really cute. I don't know. It's, I, like, it, it's like a one and a half year old baby with this really blonde hair and chubby face. It was so poignant to show her 
sort of relishing the value of life. And even a couple of times when she's holding the baby and she's like, I would have never said anything if I knew that I could possibly lose this and he could lose having a mother. And then to show her as this kid, like how much they, she values being able to raise this child. And a lot of the male perspective in this is I'm only worth something if I can fight and die for the King. Yeah. Which was a common thing at the time. Like you serve the King you went and participated in all these follies for glory for the king. Male vanity, man. Kind of pointless. All we're trying to say. But I love this movie. I loved it. No, no, yeah. This was a really good film. I mean, we'll do our beer ranking now since we're here. And I I think it's pretty straightforward. One to six, how many beers do you need to enjoy this movie? Well, this is... You don't need any real beers to enjoy this movie if you're a fan of history, but you could easily just have three to four enjoyment beers while watching it. But if you're of French royalty, it's at least worth one orgy session till the sunrise. <laughs> I, listen, if you're a French royalty, you're already doing that anyway. You might as well throw it on in the background. <laughs> oh, no, that, but listen, this movie is going to harsh any orgy vibes. Don't, don't play this at your orgy. It's just, it's gonna, it's gonna send the wrong message. Unless you're Jacques de Legree. No, 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 not Legree. It's uh, unless you're, yeah. Yeah. Unless you're Pierre de Alencourt. Listen, unless you can grow just a goatee and that weird sort of George Clooney Caesar haircut that you then dye a platinum blonde, don't have this at your orgy. Dude, he is, he is on fire this entire movie. Was he nominated for a Razzie for this? But oh, also, like, not. seriously considered for, like, major awards. I think he might have been. Uh, Affleck rules in this movie. He nails it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny because he's this, this beautiful combination of comedic relief while still man- managing to be, like, like, a lot of the plot turns on him, right? Because they're all interacting with this local overlord who is making rulings that are pissing off the uh, crew, benefiting Legree, and generally causing uh, Jodie Comer's character, Marguerite, to have a bad time. I mean, yeah, I look- he's, he's basically involved in everything. Uh, it, it really turns around that central relationship. He hates Damon, but he loves Driver. Yeah. And he's trying to push one out because he, I think... Part of the Legree thing that I don't think is communicated as well is, yes, he's smart, but he's also a sycophant. Yeah. And, like, he's being played pretty badly by Pierre. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. He, he, he's definitely being used by Pierre to sort of antagonize or push. Look, uh, I keep doing, I keep confusing their, their starting suffix. It's Legree and De Carouge. Pierre is definitely using Legree to sort of as a cat's paw to push it. Ah, God, I keep doing it. De Carouge to get him to like fuck up or do something bad so that he can kick him off the land. And he can keep taking shit. So guess what? He was nominated for worst supporting actor. I see that. Yes. And he lost to Jared Leto. In In House House of Gucci. Gucci. Oh boy. Ridley Scott. And also like I've heard that that Leto's performance is pretty insane. But these, like, I hate when they do these vanity uh, uh, nominations. Like, these movies are well-made and popular. 
Yeah. Let's nominate them for the hell of it. Like the golden raspberries are kind of dumb, but he, I mean, he did get critics choice super award as best villain. So, you know, St. Louis film critics association, best supporting actor for Ben Affleck. Listen, Ben Affleck was great in this movie and he was the bomb in phantoms and I won't hear anything else about it. Moving on. Very true. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break uh, here from our friends over at the double turn podcast real fast. And what's new with wrestling? Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Boss Ross. And I'm the J-Man, and we're the Double Turn Podcast. Every Friday, we bring you the best in pro wrestling talk. Whether it's previews and reviews on pay-per-view events, discussing the hottest topics in pro wrestling, or bringing you a look back to some of the best matches and moments in history. We have it all for you. So check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the Anchor app. And you can also give us a follow on Instagram at the Double Turn Podcast. And we will catch you on the flip side. Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops. We are doing Hops and Period Flops with 2021's The Last Duel. Uh, We're going to cover up some lingering questions. First and foremost, why do you think this flopped? We we both agree it's a great movie. Well acted, well made. Why did it flop? I... We, we mentioned it at the beginning, and I think it came out at a time people weren't necessarily ready to go back to the theater. But also, if you were going to go back, did you really want to watch a two and a half hour movie about sexual assault? I mean, that's a fair point. It's not I, exactly I, escapist. Yeah. As someone who saw this in the theater, I can understand why this was maybe you instead chose to see like the James Bond movie <laughs> over this. Like, I get it. But at the same time, this was such a well-made movie that I'm just like, man, it's a bummer. I, it doesn't help, I think, that this was one of like the last Fox properties. So, I mean, this was ultimately released by Disney as part of the Disney-Fox merger. Yeah. So, and it's I, on the Disney Plus homepage. <laughs> no, no, it's no, on but, HBO Max. No, yeah, you can't HBO watch Max. this on it. You can't watch this on Disney. But... I think because of that, there was this sort of general disinterest in giving any more money to these things, uh, which is a huge bummer because I feel like this should have done better. I mean, I remember seeing the trailer and I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to watch that. But it was oh, yeah. not marketed particularly well. I mean, I, I feel like this hit my radar because I'm a big fan of like swords and sorcery and any kind of like medieval, you name it. Yeah, I'll show up and I'll I'll do it. But this was this was a story that was about so much more than that, and it was so well made that I, I really wish this had found a bigger audience. Um, do you think there's anything that could have fixed it? Or, I mean, was it really just those millennials with their damn phones? Well, if it is streaming well, which I read it might be, I think that's a good thing. I think, I think this is a necessary historical story about one mm. woman who risked everything in a time where that was unheard of yeah and and there is a story shared in that movie about that from the bitch of a stepmom who's like you know i got raped too and i shut up and i just went about my life yeah there's a lot of interesting like internalized misogyny there where it's like society really does a number on folks huh and then to think about Christo fascism and and the yeah. rise of essentially trying to strip people of rights and saying even if you're sexually assaulted or incest you can't get abortions and all those sorts of things 
I think this is a story. It's definitely worth seeing. And it's just so damn well made and well acted. And I think it, I didn't really have any issues with it, honestly. And I, I, I felt like for two and a half hours, I went a pretty good clip because of the oh, three yeah. stories. Agreed. Like uh-huh. it, it doesn't drag. I thought it was paced very well. I get my, my only thing about it is it's one of those movies where I don't know if I can just sit down and watch it. Right. Like e- even as cool as some of the, the action scenes are, this really isn't an action movie. This is very much a drama and it is, it is hard to watch at points. Like it's not, it's not like Schindler's list hard to watch, but it's, it's getting close to that category where it's, this is tough, you know? But it's certainly, I mean, it's like any movie where a woman has been treated in such an abominable way, and yet they're still looked at as being a liar or she's a fraud or she's trying to get something out of this. Yeah, It's, it's really gross and, and hard to digest, but at the same time, because of what it's showing you and these are real things it's asking you to like you know take this ride and yeah and be like oh no way that could have happened but it did happen yeah and and this shit happens all the time where something happens to a woman and they're not believed or they're painted as hysterical or they're painted as uh, they they brought this on themselves or whatever but it and it's always just awful and you know, we've come a long way in certain respects and we've not moved at all in others. So, yeah, I think that's the most disheartening thing is you watch some of this and you think, oh, God, this was 700 years ago and we are still dealing with some of this bullshit. God damn. Well, so listen, I guess the answer is I don't know that it's a perfect film, but I'm not a competent enough director or storyteller to be able to say what could have possibly been done better. So, you know, see the movie. Um, I do think it's funny that this is not exactly Ridley Scott's first foray into historical flops, uh, having also managed to do that with several of his most recent films, including Robin Hood and Kingdom of Heaven. And I don't know if you've seen those. And obviously he did it with Gladiator, but that was wildly successful. But as far as Ridley Scott swords and sandals go, how's this rank for you? And I, we'll, we'll throw in legend too, because technically swords and sorcery is close enough to swords yeah. and sandals. I mean, we did legend and, and we all thought it didn't age remarkably well. Uh, Tim Curry's performance is still great. Whatever else. Yeah. His performance obviously did. Uh, Gladiator is one of my favorite movies. It's a guilty pleasure. I, I understand like, and there is a lot of backlash about that winning best picture style over substance, whatever have yeah. you. Uh, but the score is magnificent. The action's magnificent and it tells a compelling story. And so what if nobody in the movie's Italian, <laughs> but uh, he's Spaniard though. It's fine. Yeah. I would he's put Gaelic. this, I put this right up there with gladiator in terms of films he's made. I think he's just a remarkable director to still be doing this at such an advanced age. And a movie like this that had to be really difficult to make, mm. uh, to be making it during a pandemic with while the, he's 83. The amount of extras, the amount of on like on location shooting, 
Yeah. This film is a marvel. Uh, Kingdom of Heaven, I, I saw that in theaters because I uh, love so, okay. And Here's what I'll say with Kingdom of Heaven. The director's cut, incredible. Yeah, the theatrical cut is bad. Yes. It's, it just does not hold together well because studio meddling... Well, I mean, it, it it removes a lot of the motivations for almost all of the characters, and it's yeah. just kind of a thing. It, but It felt like a very hollow enterprise. Yeah, the four-hour so, cut, like Kingdom of Heaven, is legit good, and it, it shows Orlando Bloom's range. Which is which, about the Crusades, so... Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a, like, and it's told in a way that I think is very... I, fair is the wrong thing, but I, I love the portrayal of... I don't remember what the correct way to pronounce his his name is. I, I was brought up it was Saladin, but it's the way he pronounces it is Salahuddin. But I know yeah, there's another yeah. there's another more commonly accepted way to say that that historical person's name. But I love his portrayal in that film. And like honestly, I like Kingdom of Heaven better than I like Gladiator, and I like this maybe better than I like Kingdom of Heaven. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Robin Hood. I didn't, I don't re- recall liking very much, but is, I wonder if there's a better cut of that somewhere because Ridley Scott is the director's cut director for all That's intents true. and purposes. And I, one you didn't mention is uh, the gods and Kings movie, which is about, Egypt. Oh yes. Exodus gods and Kings. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Which, I missed that. I did not like wow. it. At all. I did not like that movie at all. So I gave that one a miss. I'm going to be honest with you. I took one look at that and went, probably not for me That's yeah okay. not exactly in my wheelhouse but also woefully miscast and who, super, who were the leads uh christian bale and joel edgerton are the leads of exodus gods and kings oh boy well you know uncle owen probably a fine he was ramsey's wasn't he yep he, <laughs> he was Ramsey's. that's fine that's fine that's fine Let's move on. I don't. I, I think. I think we've said enough. Uh, other. Uh, I did want to talk about because we we mentioned Rashomon and how this is very much a, a Rashomon alike. Um, I wanted to know what are some other films that you enjoy that use this effect. And other than the Ur example, Rashomon, who created this kind of storytelling, the three perspectives, maybe they're all not necessarily true. Which one do you think does a very good job of that? Like examples would be like. Hero, the Jet Li movie from uh, 2001, The Usual Suspects, Gone Girl, which had Matt uh, Ben Affleck, obviously. Uh, Last Jedi does it. Knives Out does it. Is there one that you point to and go, hey, that's a really other than this one in Rashomon? Yes, that's tough. Um, Like recently, the show The Affair did it to pretty good effect. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just in terms of telling stories from multiple perspectives obviously like stuff like sin city although that doesn't really alter what you're seeing but i do like always seeing things from from different perspectives and and tarantino obviously does that too yeah Uh, and he he sort of really popularized it in the 90s to do that uh but usual suspects i think is a great one heroes one of my favorite movies so hero is really good and it, it The thing I like with that is how it plays with color to represent the the various perspectives where yeah, you've got yeah. red from the first guy's perspective, blue from the emperor, and then white as the final true perspective. Plus, that movie is just a pretty wuja film. 
It's incredible. Yeah. That's that's okay. a very, very good movie. I, I'm gonna go ahead and say I liked how they did it in Last Jedi. I know, I know Last Jedi is a divisive film at best, and I still stand by it had a lot of great ideas, just not all the way executed well. But when you saw the two perspectives of what happened to make Kylo Ren go crazy, I thought that was pretty good. But as we've come to learn, never trust Jacques Legree. He's always yeah. lying. He's always up to something, no matter what. You can't, you can't trust Kylo Ren for nothing. All right, we're going to take one more quick break, and we're going to hear from our brothers in beer over at Hop Nation USA. Hey, everyone, this is Steve. And this is Adam. And we're part of the Hop Nation USA podcast. Pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast. Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrewing. Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation. Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops. We've just completed talking about Ridley Scott's The Last Duel, a film you should watch. It's on HBO Max. It's a really, really good movie. Uh, But we're going to move on and talk about our recommendations so, Thunderous Wizard, tell me, what are you watching this week? Okay, so it's recently on vacation, which is why we skipped a week. Uh, and then in the interim, in that time, James Kahn passed away. Uh, and uh, the great Santino Corleone. Um, loved, loved James Kahn. He's a, he was a fantastic actor. Uh, classic tough guy. So my recommendation, because I watched a lot of Arnold movies on vacation, <laughs> is Eraser, uh, <laughs> where he plays the foil to Arnold. It is a fairly standard mid-90s action movie with a rail gun that goes through walls that then Perfect Dark stole for their video game. And it was one of Arnold's last big hits uh, there towards the latter half of the 90s. James Conn's great in it. He's always been kind of a great heelish son of a bitch. Yeah. And uh, rest in peace, James. I have many fond memories of your films. When I told my wife he died, I was like, oh, Sonny, Sonny Corleone died. And she's like, okay, whatever. And then later I said, yeah, the dad from Elf. She's like, why didn't you just tell me that? The dad, so I was like, I mean, the, the dad from Elf? I was like, Listen, he'll, you know. he'll always be the dad from Santa Slay to me. Yeah. I mean, he's appeared on the pod, James Conn, So Bless you, James. Bless you. Uh, very nice. Well, my recommendation this week is going to be a, a movie that just came out on Netflix called The Sea Beast, uh, which is an animated movie starring Carl Urban um, and I think a newish comer in Zara's Angel Hatter as uh, Maisie. It's a story about how there are giant sea creatures that menace the coast and Carl Urban's character is a hunter that tries to kill these sea beasts. And Maisie is a little girl that stows alongside him, uh, stows away alongside him and sort of their adventures. And to say more would be to give it away. It does feel very how to train your dragon at points, especially in some of the character designs for a couple of the sea beasts. But as someone who likes tall ships and pirates and that kind of thing, this was a really good movie. You should watch it now with your kids. I loved it. I straight up loved it. I'm probably going to throw together a cosplay of the Carl Urban character just for funsies. 
Plus, Jared Harris is in it, and he's in yeah, everyone's Jared Harris favorite is... film, Morbius. He he does not go full Morb in this, but he goes three quarters Morb. Okay, that's an acceptable ratio it's of a Morb. Fair amount of Morb, right? Yeah, I can take that. Three fourths, okay. I can live with that. You never go full Morb, but three quarters Morb, you're safe. Either way, it's on Netflix, so you can probably watch it. The Sea Beast, watch it; it's great. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for this edition of Hops and Box Office Flops. Next week, we've got the final installment of our Hops and Period Flops Challenge, that being The Alamo. The Alamo. Starring Davy Crockett, King King of the Wild Frontier. Frontier. Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee, bravest state in the land of the free, killed him a bar when he was only three. This movie is going to be dumb, isn't it? Uh, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes issues. I know that. And let's, uh, sort of like Kingdom of Heaven, the theatrical cut, it uh, was kind of hacked to pieces. So, okay. Although we'll never see the director's cut of the Alamo. Oh. So, yeah. But I know it's got Billy Bob Thornton. Isn't he Bowie? He's Davy Crockett. Oh. Returning Todd favorite, uh, Jason Patrick. Is one Jim Jim Bowie, <laughs> not not David Bowie. Yeah, he's just singing fashion as they're being attacked by Santa Anna's army. I I kind of assumed he'd like Goblin King it up, and Santa Anna's army be like, "Well, I mean, we're gonna mess with that." Yeah, where's that guy from? Not Texas. <laughs> where's that guy from? We, we gotta remember it for sure. Anyway, all right. Well, uh, you can find the show again once more. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hops and Bioflops. You can find myself at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of your social media. Uh, and the Thunderous Wizard can be found at Writer TLK. Uh, if you enjoy the show again, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Uh, tell us what series you'd like us to do next. If you've got a particular movie you'd love to hear us talk about, we'd love to talk about it, maybe with you. So hit us up on the socials and or our email. I don't know. We don't email. Text us. Whatever. You know it is. Anyway, have a great night and we'll see you soon.